Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Hey, that was really helpful for me. Uh, I don't know about you, that just slowing down. My, my Sundays are nuts. I'm running around here like a lunatic most of the time, and I just run in and out, and uh, that, that's just, I, I, that was helpful for me. Hopefully you found it helpful as well. So why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, New Testament, John chapter 4. And uh, as you could tell from the bumper behind me, we are in a study called Collision. It's a study in which we're looking at various people's encounters with Jesus, recorded specifically by the Apostle John in his uh, biography of Jesus. And as unique as each of these encounters are, there's one thing that is consistently true with each and every one of them, that those men and women who had um, in either intentional or unintentional interactions with Jesus, their lives were changed. Their lives were impacted, seriously impacted by the grace of God. In fact, last, the last two encounters we've looked at uh, offer a beautiful and comprehensive picture of the good news of Jesus and what Christianity is truly about. Because at one point, if you remember, Jesus engages a really good moral Jewish man, but he tells him his moral goodness isn't enough to get him into heaven. Then last week, we saw Jesus interact with an immoral, non-Jewish woman who he assures her lack of moral goodness wasn't enough to keep her out of heaven. Um, in other words, everybody has the same need. Jesus says the morally upright need the grace of God and the morally wrecked needs it as well. So uh, that said, I want to pick up where we left off last time because, well, there's more to uh, this immoral non-Jewish woman's story uh, that, that I think is worth exploring. If you recall, she was a Samaritan and uh, Jesus had just spent some time talking with her at a well outside of a town called Sikar in the region of Samaria. Uh, and due to her moral failures and a rather checkered past, she was an outcast in her community. But that didn't stop Jesus. You know, he wasn't going to allow geographical, racial, gender, religious, cultural, or moral barriers keep him from engaging with and offering this woman what she, what she needed most, love, grace, forgiveness, and eternal life. And as they talked, at one point she tells him she knew the Messiah was coming, and she knew that when he, when he arrived, he would explain everything. And it was at that point Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And here's, here's what happens next. This is fascinating. We're told just then the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked any questions. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything he, I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And then John goes on to report how many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the women's testimony and told him, uh, he told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them, they, he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more believers, uh, many, many more became believers, and they, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. So there's a lot that happens uh, here during what, what essentially becomes a two-day event. And... Uh, it all begins here with a, with a rather awkward moment. You know, after going to town to buy some, buy some uh, food, the disciples return 
You find Jesus where they left him at this well, but he's not alone. He's interacting with this Samaritan woman. And John says they were all surprised to see this. And uh, they were surprised for a couple reasons. As we noted last week, uh, in first century Palestine, Jews and and, uh, Samaritans hated each other because centuries earlier, many of the Israelites living in the region of Samaria uh, intermarried with the invading Assyrians and uh, adapted many of the Assyrian uh, pagan practices, social and religious. And this caused Jews outside the region to view the Samaritans as kind of filthy, half-breed sellouts who were racially inferior. So both groups you know, despised each other. And so that's the first issue. Jesus was interacting with a Samaritan. And secondly, she was a woman. And at the time, it was considered socially inappropriate for a man, especially a rabbi, uh, to speak to a woman in public. So the disciples are taken back by this. You know, they, they didn't expect it. They're, they're sort of speechless. They don't ask anything. They don't say a word. And I can just imagine all of them standing there around the wells, kind of staring at each other, for what may have seemed like an eternity, but uh, in truth, it was just a moment, but a very silent and awkward one. The disciples say nothing, the woman says nothing, she just turns and heads off back into town, leaving her water jar behind. Maybe that was intentional, Uh, maybe she planned to come back for it later, maybe it was just uh, an anxious oversight, we don't know, but uh, this is another one of those a little unnecessary and yet specific details of the story that supports its veracity. Uh, this is not fiction. John's not writing fiction here. He's recording an encounter that actually happened. So when the woman gets back to town, she says to the people there, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the people come out of town, they make their way to Jesus. And I want to talk more about that interaction, but first, while that was going on in town, the disciples are back at the well urging Jesus to eat something. And he says, I have food to eat you guys don't know anything about. And they immediately fi- figured somebody must have brought him lunch. That's what they thought, but that wasn't the case. Jesus was just using this moment to teach them something uh, important about his mission as the Messiah, as the Christ, you know, why he came, uh, what he was doing. He says, my food, i.e., what I need most right now is not lunch. What I need is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then Jesus uses a a metaphor, as he often did, to illustrate Uh, what that work was. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They're ripe for harvest, a crop for eternal life. Without going into all the agricultural details and the imagery here, let me simply offer my Reiki summary. Jesus is is explaining to the disciples, who from an agrarian culture would have understood this, you know, very easily, more than us perhaps. He's explaining to them, just as a farmer at harvest time goes out to reap a crop of produce, so he, as Messiah the Christ, had also come to do the work of reaping and bringing a crop of people into the kingdom of God, including Jews and Samaritans. And get this, he tells the guys, open your eyes and look at the fields that are ripe for harvest. At the exact, at the exact time, a bunch of Samaritans are coming out of town, heading straight for him. So it's as if he says, he goes, look, look what's coming. It's time to work. Harvest time is right now. So we don't know, and we don't know how the, uh, the disciples were reacting to this. We don't know how they were feeling about it all. I'm guessing they were a bit confused, uh, a little uncomfortable, and that, uh, that probably intensified when the Samaritans show up and they invite Jesus to stay with them, which was unprecedented. Yet he accepted the invitation, and he stayed two days, and uh, because of his words, many, many of them became believers. So this is, this is as much, we know, as, much as, as we know of their interaction 
that it was a two-day deal where Jesus hung around and talked to them. Based on uh, content of previous encounters, it's not too hard to surmise what he may have said. But as I was thinking about that, a series of, of other questions popped in my mind, like, how is it again that these Samaritans knew about this guy at the well claiming to be Messiah? How'd they knew it in the first place? And how was it that they came to him and listened to him and spent time with him and eventually put their faith in him as, in their words, savior of the world? Well, it all came down to the influence of one believer, one person, a very passionate woman who experienced the love and grace of God for herself. And she could not help but share the good news of Jesus with others. And as I was reading through the story, I, I, I thought, you know, I, it's worth exploring how she goes about doing that. Because while we don't know exactly what Jesus said to the Samaritans, we do know what she said to them. Now, if any of you uh, have been hanging around Christian church world for any length of time, uh, you're no doubt familiar with talk about evangelism, which is another one of those terms that I, I shy away from because it tends to create uh, anxiety for many in, within the church and conjures up images of obnoxious confrontations in the minds of some people outside the church. Um, but the word itself comes from a Greek term, evangel, that simply means good news. It was used in the secular world. It just meant good news. In its verb form, it literally means good newsing or bringing good news. It's the sharing of information with someone who otherwise is ignorant of that information. And it's not just any information. It's the kind of information that results in joy, hope, uh, encouragement, and excitement because it's good news. So technically speaking, you know, what the Samaritan woman does following her life-changing encounter with Jesus is evangelism. She goes into town good newsing, i.e. sharing helpful, hopeful, joyful information with those who lacked that information. In fact, the text says that many of the Samaritans from town ended up believing in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the Greek term uh, that we translate here, testimony, uh, it was a legal term that, that meant to give first-hand eyewitness account of something. So essentially, she says... Here's what happened to me. I met, a, I met a man who knew everything about me. He, he knew my, 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 my faults, my failures, my sin, past, my present, yet he still cared about, about me. He didn't reject me. He graciously offered me forgiveness and eternal life. But notice, she doesn't come right out and say he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Instead, she poses a question. Could this be the Messiah? Why does she do that? Well, she did it because at the time and in the culture, women uh, were not held in, in high esteem. A woman's word counted for almost nothing. In fact, they couldn't, they couldn't act as a legal witness in a court of law. And uh, she knew that. She realized that, that cultural dynamic. So she poses a question that allowed her listeners, especially the men, to disregard her if, if they wanted to. But her goal was to pique their interest in hopes that they would accept her invitation to come see this man for themselves. And that's, and that's what happens. And so it seems to me there are some things that we can learn from this woman uh, about the idea, the whole idea of good newsing. And uh, I'm not gonna suggest that this text gives us an evangelistic recipe to follow. Uh, living in an age of technology tends to fuel our lust for techniques and, uh, and methods and formulas and step-by-step -step procedures. So please hear me, I'm not saying 
here's the recipe for engaging an unbelieving culture. What I am saying is what this woman did in her particular context, you know, how she approached people uh, who had no awareness of Jesus, I think is instructive and may help shape our understanding of how to effectively bring good news to the people around us, family, friends, our community. Because think about it, she had no, no how-to books on good newsing. She, uh, she had no missiological studies to review, no established programming to, to mimic and implement, no protocol to follow, no theology courses to take. What she does is just very, is very organic. It's just very natural. She just shares her story, right? She gives testimony. She gives pers- personal account, a personal account of her experience with this guy Jesus and what he said, how he treated her, who he claimed to be, who she believed he was, Messiah, the Savior of the world. And how exactly did she testify and share that story? Well, she did it compassionately. I mean, keep in mind who it is she goes to bringing this good news. They weren't her friends. They weren't her friends. She was an outcast in the community. Uh, She was judged and looked down on by her peers. And she could have very easily seen the people back in town as hated enemies. In many respects, they, they were enemies to be avoided and despised. And yet she goes directly to them with this good news. What was the motivation? The motivation was love. Remember, she was a Samaritan. The Jews hated and avoided Samaritans, but Jesus didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't hate or avoid her. He showed no contempt whatsoever, just the opposite. He showed kindness and compassion. He engaged with her. He demonstrated how true love overcomes cultural, racial, religious, gender differences. And it leads to radical friendships. Radical friendships, even with, one, with, with people you disagree with, even with one's enemies. Now, at one point, Jesus would tell his followers, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus said, I'm telling you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He'd go on to say, you know, it's easy to love the people who love you. That's not hard. I'm telling you, love your enemies. When the Apostle John, who wrote this document, later in life writes a letter to Christians in the early church, he says this about love. He says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and set his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Out of love, Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Love begets love. And understand, through Jesus, this woman experienced the love of God in her life like never before, and she couldn't help but love others as a result, and she wanted them to experience the same thing, even even those who mistreated her. I mean, tell me, if this wasn't the case, if she didn't go back to town uh, and share her testimony, what would that indicate? For me, it would say one of two things. Whether when it came to the good news of Jesus, either she didn't really believe it, or she just didn't give a rip about others hearing the news. But she did both. She believed and she wanted others to know this good news. So she compassionately shares her story, and she does so with great transparency. She says, listen, this man told me everything I ever did. And the people knew what she, they knew who she was. They knew her background. That's why they judged her. 
You know, she says, this man told me everything about me, everything I ever did. He knew all about my life, including my sins, my failures, my brokenness, my past, my present. And he'll know all about yours too. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. He was incredibly kind to me. And he didn't, he didn't push me away. He, he offered me forgiveness and eternal life. And he said it's the gift of God. He said it's the gift of God. And it's not just a gift for me, it's a gift for whoever wants to receive it. And there's no, there's no working for it, there's no earning it, there's no proving yourself. It's all about grace. That's what makes the news so good, you see. And here's where the woman shows true brilliance in sharing her story, because she does so shrewdly. She asks the question, could this be the Messiah? I mean, she obviously believed Jesus was the Messiah, Savior. That wasn't the issue. She asked the question because... Well, think about what it does. First, it, it keeps her story from being immediately dismissed because she was a woman, and it invites dialogue with potentially hostile listeners, right? It allows for them to offer their opinion, their feedback, good, you know, right, wrong, or in between. It shows respect, while at the same time, it gets people thinking about that, what they really believed. You know, look, I, look, I realize... Her culture is very, very different from ours, but people are people are people. And what I take from this account is that when, when good newsing in an unbelieving, potentially hostile environment, asking questions, inviting dialogue, showing respect, and, and showing a willingness to hear other opinions is really helpful. That's what I take from it. I think, I think all that's very helpful. Oz Guinness is a very well-known Christian author, thinker, and apologist. In his book, Fool's Talk, he writes about this. He writes about influencing, spiritually influencing our culture. And he says, he says look, in our age, most people are, are untroubled rather than unreached. They're unconcerned rather than unconvinced. And they need questions as much as answers. Questions that raise questions that require answers, prompting people to become genuine seekers. The goal is to use questions to raise questions and so to puncture whatever are the walls of indifference and to do so in a style and a language that speaks to the person we're engaging with. Whatever the style of the question, the medium in which it's raised, the point is the same, to probe the consequence of unbelief and to challenge people to follow the, the, the logic of their ideas through to the end. And then he says this, some Christians have won an insufferable reputation for always dispensing answers even when no one has a question. And I think, he's, I think he's spot on. And here's the thing. I don't know if, I don't know if Guinness had this Samaritan woman in mind when he wrote these words, but I'll tell you what, that's, this is exactly what she does. Very organically. She, 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 she asks a question to raise questions which prompts people to think and to become spiritual seekers. And she does it very courageously. Very courageously. I'm guessing the people in town were pretty surprised by this, you know, you know, how this, this outcast, this nobody who they avoided and who she, she avoided them has this encounter with some guy outside the town and then suddenly she's back in town fearlessly engaging with those who have treated her so ruthlessly. But see, that's what's so astonishing about the good news of, of grace. That's what's so astonishing about it. Outside of, outside of it, in everyday life as broken human beings, our self-worth and identity is based on relational status. We're always comparing ourselves to others. But I'll tell you what, that's a futile in endeavor. It's a futile endeavor. Because 
I mean, look, you may be the smartest student in high school. You feel really good about that until you get to the Ivy League University where you're suddenly just average and you feel then like a loser because your identity is based on relational status. You're not proud of being smart. You're proud of being smarter than others around you. The problem with that, you're always going to be someone who is smarter. Or it's like, it's like being the best percussionist in the state of Arkansas, but, but you get off a bus in downtown Chicago, and there are three kids beating buckets on the sides of the street who's better than you are, right? <laughs> Suddenly, your confidence is shot. And this isn't just an adolescent issue. This is an adult issue. It, it, it happens at home. It happens at the school. It happens at work the office. There, there are always going to be people who you feel superior to. There are always going to be people who you feel inferior to. The people in this Samaritan town, they viewed themselves as superior to this woman. She no doubt felt quite inferior to them. But suddenly, she was no longer intimidated by all that. All that didn't matter anymore. She was courageous. She was confident. She had a new source of identity. That one that was not rooted in social status or education or, or achievement or moral performance or religiosity. Her, her self-worth and identity was now humbly rooted in the grace of God. And God's grace changes things. It changes us. She was loved by God. What else could she, what, what, what else is there? I mean, how do we see ourselves where do, where do we find our self-worth and value? Where do you find yours? If you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is good newsing part of your life experience? When given the opportunity, do you readily give your, for lack of a better term, testimony of what Jesus has done for you and how, how God's love and grace has impacted your life? Do you share your faith story compassionately, transparently, shrewdly, courageously? And if not, why not? You may say, well, look, Ray, it's easy for you to ask. You're a pastor. You know, it's easy for you to talk about faith and, and all these things. Well, let me dispel the myth. It's not easy for me. Here it's easy for me. In this context, it's easy. But outside the context, not so much. If I'm honest about it, I gotta tell you, sometimes I feel at a disadvantage because trust me when I tell you, the greatest conversation killer with non-religious people, non-church people, is, is when I tell them what I do. I can be at a party having a great time, and a group of people, finding about everybody, getting to know everybody, and inevitably, inevitably the topic of careers come up and I know, oh, here comes the question, so Ray, what do you do? And I wanna say I'm a circus performer. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure the re that reaction to that would be less than what I get when I say I'm a pastor. <laughs> my son used to say, my son used to say, yeah, it's rough, Dad. I'm, what are you talking about? When the kids say, what do your mom and, do, my, mom and dad do? Uh, Mom's a librarian, dad's a pastor. Could it be any worse than that? You know? <laughs> How boring is that? thing is, li library science is fascinating. That, that engages conversation. Mm, not so much. I'm a pastor. Oh, oh well, i got to go get some more cocktail weenies, you know. <laughs> it happened to me just the other night. It happened to me just the other night. I was talking to a photographer at a, at a sporting event. And he says, so what do you do? I go, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, i got to go get some pictures. Boom, gone. 
I mean, it's, it's a conversation killer. Uh, it just shuts it down. At other times, people expect me to say religious-type stuff because of what I do. Talk about God, Jesus, you know. It's what you do. It's my, it's my job. So that doesn't really have much of an impact. The point is, it's not always easy for me to bring good news, to share my faith story with people. And it's okay, it's okay to admit that it may not always be easy for you. It's okay to admit that. But let's think about this woman. She was, she was going in front of people who were mean to her, a very potentially hostile crowd. Uh, yet she was able to go and, and, and do it so organically, so naturally, just share her story to, to a potentially mean group of people. And what, what it came down to is this. She encountered Jesus, and it, it changed her. And understanding the news of God's grace and this gift that he offers of eternal life was, was too real. It was too good for her to keep to herself. And the fact that God loved her and accepted her as she was a broken, sinful nobody meant she didn't need the affirmation of others anymore. She didn't need that. It mattered to her what God thought of her, not so much what everyone else thought. Uh, she was forgiven. Her self-esteem was now rooted in him. She no longer feared the crowd. She actually cared about them. And she wanted them to know the truth. And so like, like breath pouring from her lungs, she pours out this good news. And then one final thing to note. She does it, she does it simply. It's not, it's not complicated. You know, she says, come see a man. She doesn't demand it. She doesn't argue about it. She isn't obnoxious about it. She's, she issues a simple invitation for people to investigate for themselves the words and teaching of this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ. You know, I think some of us may keep from talking to others about Jesus and about what we believe, uh, m maybe even avoiding our own story because we're afraid we don't have all the answers. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you wait to have all the answers, you'll never say a word about Jesus. You'll never open your mouth. You'll, you'll never do any good newsing because you'll never have all the answers. It's impossible. No one has them. Do you think this Samaritan woman had it all figured out? I don't. All she knew was that this Jesus loved her, offered her the gift of, of, of forgiveness and life, and it was a matter of God's grace, and that was it. No working, no earning, no proving. It was a matter of grace. And that's all, all, that's all she knew, but that was enough for her. That was good news. It was enough for her to invite others to Jesus. And what happens as a result? Many Samaritans believed because of her story, because of her testimony, but even more so because of Jesus' words. That's what they tell her. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said, although we listened and it meant something. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Four simple words. Come see a man. Come see Jesus. Have you offered a similar invitation to anyone lately? What's keeping you from doing it? You never know my, what might happen. So for me, this is all quite amazing, really. I mean, this Samaritan woman, we don't even know her name. We don't even know her name. And yet here we are some 2,000 years later discussing her story, being informed by it, being moved and inspired by it, at least I am. And it's a story of love. It's a story of hope. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of restoration. A story of new life that comes through faith in Jesus. And when a, a person experiences 
the love and grace of God really experiences it, it changes things. It changes them. It changes us. And then it's hard to keep this good news to ourselves. So this week, may we be like this woman, people of spiritual influence. May God give us the opportunity to do some good newsing and share our faith story with someone who needs to hear it. May we do so compassionately, transparently, shrewdly, courageously, and simply, inviting them not just to take our word for it, but to investigate for themselves this good news of Jesus, who we believe is Savior of the world. Come see a man. Let's pray. Our Father, I think each of us, if we're honest, will admit that throughout our lives we're, we're so... Um, um, we're so impacted and influenced by what others think of us. There's those we look down on when we feel better than we feel better than them and more superior to them, and then there are others we feel inferior to. It's this kind of game we play, and it, for some of us, it really controls our lives. It controls what we do. It controls what we say, and that that is just uh, that is that's rough. And I think in terms of faith. I think if we're honest, we admit that that's part of our challenge. You know, to, to find our value, our self-worth in you and your grace and what Jesus has done for us, not in what everyone else thinks. And not to be afraid of, of people who are different, people who think differently, people who look differently, who act differently, and who may well be somewhat hostile. Um... But may we not stop to talk to them and love them and share with them because of that, because of what they may think of us. We, we know our value. We know our worth to you. So may, I hope we can get over that, Lord, and, and may we be people who will talk about what we believe, but not in an obnoxious way. Do it in a way that's loving and respectful. Ask questions to help people to think so many times, we, so many of us just rush through life. We don't really think about what, what this is all about. Help us to do that. Help us to be spiritual influencers. Really, may, 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 may these words of hope and, and love and grace kind of pour out of our lungs as we share it with people and offer you to them. We love you this morning and we're grateful for all that you've done for us. And um, pray that you would empower us um, to love people more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? I want to thank you for being with us this morning. You know, the woman, that woman at the well, her story is so, I don't know, there's so much, so much depth to it. There's so many layers. I think about her going into an environment that was potentially very hostile to her. I think about our world, I think about our culture. Um, that can be true for us. Part of the reason for that is I think people in our culture don't really understand what Christianity is. They think they do, but they don't. They think it's all about people who feel superior, who are mean-spirited, judgmental, who do all the right things, follow all the right rules, and get to heaven. Well, we know that's not the case. Uh, Jesus said, those of you who think you're so morally good, your goodness isn't enough to get you into heaven. 
those who think of you think you're so bad you never make it, your, your lack of goodness isn't enough to keep you out. We all need God's grace. That's the good news. That's what makes the good news so good. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. You receive it by following Jesus. And that's, that's what Christianity is about. I hope you guys understand that. So when you get in conversation, you can ask questions, to share what you think, what you believe, how you define Christianity. It's not religion. It's this. Uh, that part of my responsibility is to help you and equip you to do that. But um, let's not be afraid to say what we believe. Everybody believes something. Everybody has their own little system of beliefs. So don't be afraid of sharing yours. Uh, I hope, I'm hoping these encounters that we're looking at are helpful for you. I know I'm, I'm finding them fascinating. So uh, next week we're going to take a look at a desperate dad. And he's got a really sick child and see his interaction with Jesus. I think you'll find it fascinating. Also, just a reminder, we have uh, books by N.T. Wright, uh, uh, devotionals in, in John's Gospel. If we're encouraging people to do some, kind of a supplementary study on your own through, uh, throughout the series. So if you didn't get one yet, we have some available. You can pick those up in the back uh, in the lobby. Okay? Thanks for being here. If you have any, if you have any questions about what you heard this morning uh, about Jesus, talk to somebody you know from the church, from Parkview. Let them share their faith story with you. But certainly we'll have some of our prayer team folks down front. They're here for you as well, okay? Let me pray and then we're done. And now, Lord, I pray that as, as we go from this place, we would go with a, a, a deep sense of your love and your grace in our lives. May that be where we find our value and our self-worth in you, that you love us unconditionally. We are your children. And may we go from this place empowered and encouraged to, to share our stories to say to people, come, come see a man named Jesus. Hear what he says. Hear what he offers you. May your hand of peace and grace and strength now rest on your church as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. We'll see you next Sunday.